0: Good morning, it's good to see you all this morning, what a blessing it is to be together in the house of the Lord, Uh, man, just praising God, it's amazing, it's amazing thinking about God's presence, God's house, being with God's people, what a blessing this is. Um, Today we are going to be picking up in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 21, and uh, specifically starting in verse 9 all the way through 21, uh, 9 uh, 21, 9 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one under one of the chairs in front of you. If you do have a Bible, I encourage you to take it out and uh, let's read. Let's look at the text together as we see God's great promises to his people in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. As we near the end of the story, we're told this in verse 9. This is John's, uh, what God showed John, the Apostle John. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance, like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and a 12, and at the gates, 12 angels. and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its great walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, like transparent glass. That is the word of the Lord for God's people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this picture of the place that you're preparing for your people, for us. God, as we sang this morning, you are faithful. You are good. You have been faithful through history. You've been faithful to Christ. You are faithful to us today, and you will be faithful as you bring us to yourself one day to this place that you have been preparing for us. God, I pray now that you give us eyes to see the glory of the place you prepared for us, that you give us greater hope, greater joy, greater longing to be with you in your courts, that the things of this earth that are worldly, the things that are shiny, that attract us, that draw us away from you, I pray, Lord, that those things would grow dim, that their grip on our hearts would grow weak, but the... The things of you, God, the things of heaven, the things of this new Jerusalem we look forward to, that these will grow big in our hearts, that that you, O God, would grip our hearts, that a desire to be with you would, would grip us, a desire to live for you, a desire to live like Christ, a desire to give ourselves for you, that that would consume us, and that would give us endurance, perseverance, and joy as we look forward to the day that we will be with you in the place you have prepared for us. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your Word, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive it. We pray this for Christ's glory, Amen. All right. Well, as we dig into this, I was thinking about the text today, and uh, have you? I'm sure you guys have have watched a Home Improvement show. It seems like they're really popular these days. Uh, these uh, kind of like fixer upper shows. You guys seen those where? where maybe Chip and Joanna Gaines, they, they, they start with this house that's not very nice. It's, it's kind of like, wow, that place is a dump. And, and, you know, they work on it, and throughout the episode, you see them going from this, this trash heap and, and, and working hard and encountering problems, and, oh, the foundation's sinking, and, oh, the pipes are all old and rusty, and, oh, there's a lead pipe, and, oh, this is terrible. And, but by the end of the 50-minute episode, you get to the end, and there's this huge reveal. It's like, what's it going to look like? And they bring the family, and it's like they show them their new home, and there's crying, and oh, look at what you've done. It's amazing. It's just this, this, this amazing transformation of, of, this, of this kind of uh, trashy home that they're barely struggling to live in to this mansion that they've always wanted. You know, at, the, at, at this section of Scripture, it's, it's kind of like we have come now to the, to the big reveal. The big reveal that all the scripture has been leading us up to this. And at the, at the beginning of chapter 21, God showed John a picture of what life will be like after Jesus returns. After this present world system ends and, and the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. In a way, this is the big reveal. This is the moment we've been waiting for. It's like, it's like the, the curtain or the, the, the big cardboard box on the, on the TV. is just, it's, we can see it now. Wow, look at it. And as we think about it, all scripture and all human history is pointing us to this place, and to this moment. And as I as I process this, trying to figure out how to preach this, this text, isn't it amazing that our God has given us a glimpse, a glimpse of what it will be like? As we, as we go through the passage today, I, I just want you to consider how kind God is, how amazing God is, how intentional our God is from, from Genesis to Revelation. How it all shows how great he is, his glory. And my hope today as we walk away from this is we will be in awe of God. We will be in awe of what he has done, his faithfulness, his promises, his goodness, his kindness, his, his handiwork. And uh, the image of the new Jerusalem that we have here in Revelation 21, you know, it shows us that from day one, from day one as we look at Genesis all the way now, our God has been weaving together this incredible tapestry of grace and redemption. It's a beautiful picture. He was, he's been giving us glimpses all throughout scripture, all throughout history, and threads tracing this all the way until Revelation 21 through 23, 22. You know, thinking from Genesis to Jonah, from the lamb's blood on the doorposts to Christ's blood on the cross, it all culminates in this. Our God is amazing. We're going to see some of it today. You know, if we think about from the very beginning of the Bible, we can see that our God is moving history towards what I would just give you guys three big ideas here. God is making a people for himself, okay? A people, a place for his people, and a purpose. For his, and the purpose is that God will be with his people in his place and have perfect communion forever a people, a place, and a purpose. And the last three chapters of Revelation are huge in the story. It's the conclusion or the climax. We see the kingdom of God in its fullness. So if you think about the story, let's just do a quick scan through the pages of Scripture. Chapter 1, Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 begins with God creating the heavens and the earth. Chapter 2, we see the perfect place that God made for his people and specifically the Garden of Eden. Chapter 2 in Eden God dwelt with Adam and Eve. They enjoyed this wonderful relationship. In chapter 3, we see that God himself strolled, strolled in the garden in the coolness of the day with his people. However, in chapter 3, we also see that the serpent, the serpent tempted God's people. Uh, God's people rebelled against their king and their God and their father. And they brought the curse of death and sin and brokenness into the world. And that's how we experience it today. If we skip all the way to the end of the story, the last three chapters of Revelation, God removes his enemies, death, the serpent, and all evil in chapter 20. God will radically renew the heavens and the earth, a new heaven and new earth in chapter 21 and 22. And finally, God will purify his people and bring them to the place he has prepared prepared for them to live with him forever. And this is amazing. This is the whole story of Scripture. And as we look at the text today, the way the Apostle John describes our future, he uses this vivid imagery, it's like full color, colors we can hardly imagine, to describe the future place God has prepared, where he will live with us, his people, forever. So as we get to Revelation 21 and, you know, we see this new Jerusalem, you know, how do we interpret this? How do we understand the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21? You know, Pastor Justin last week uh, mentioned and he and I talked about this week. Uh, the way we're interpreting this and what seems to be clear here, make most sense, is that this is a people and a place. The New Jerusalem is a people and a place. It's not just a people. It's not just an empty place. It's a developed city. It's a community. It's, it's a community of people enjoying communion with God. And so as we look at this, I want let to kind of frame... What are we talking about? The Dr- New Jerusalem here, why do we say that? New Jerusalem here is described as having physical things like buildings and roads. And if you keep reading trees and rivers and walls and gates and stones and foundations, all this stuff, is physical, tangible, earthly, earthy stuff. But also like any other city, there's people. There's people that live there. As I was pondering this, John 14, 1 through 3, this, this is a, f- a familiar passage you've probably heard at funerals many times. Jesus spoke to him of this promise. And he said to his disciples, after his death and resurrection, he would go to prepare a place for them that they would be together again one day. This is what Jesus said. He said, friends, friends, they're getting ready for the cross. They're getting ready to see Jesus die on the cross. They, probably things they could never imagine happening. Their whole world's going to be turned upside down. And Jesus gave them this comfort. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. You see that? God preparing a place for his people so that we can be together with him forever. And that should bring us great comfort. So the new Jerusalem here in Revelation 21 and 22 is the fulfillment of this physical place that God has promised his people. The Bible does not describe us as sitting on clouds and wispy spirits with wings, uh, playing on harps for all eternity. That's, That's not a biblical picture of heaven or eternity. God promises His people an amazing city, a land, a kingdom, a perfect world. So let's take a look at this city. Let's explore the city together. As we study verses 9 through 21, I want to focus on four highlights of the city that Jesus has promised to prepare for His people. So what is this going to be like? What is this city going to be like? Well, thankfully God tells us here. Four points that I want to pull out of this passage. four highlights. First off, the new Jerusalem is holy and beautiful. It's holy and beautiful. Point two, the new Jerusalem is the secure home for all God's people. Number three, we'll see here that the new Jerusalem is the place that God communes in relationship with his people. And four, the new Jerusalem will be greater than we can imagine. It will be so much greater than we can imagine. So let's start at verse 9 and and think about how the new Jerusalem, this this heavenly city, God's city, will be holy and beautiful. We see this in verse 9. And I encourage you to to, to look at your text with me as we go through this message. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of of the seven last plagues. And he spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride. The wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Now, here again, John is invited by an angel to see the future. And this time, what does he see? He sees the bride of Christ the wife of the lamb. So who is this bride, this wife? Well, As as we've been reading, we've been learning through Scripture, these are the people of God who have been saved from the wrath of God by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. These are God's people. And we see, who is this lamb? Well, Revelation, Jesus is described as the lamb. That's one of the favorite images or names that Jesus is described as the lamb. So this is the wife, the bride of Jesus. Jesus loves us, loves his people so much that he allowed himself to be sacrificed. Uh, Our God and our creator, Jesus, who made all things, he came from heaven to earth, took upon flesh and allowed himself to be sacrificed, stripped naked in front of his creation to see, tortured, bloody, death, hung on a cross for hours in excruciating pain, all the while he was praying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has been sacrificed for me and you to take us, to be with him, to forgive us of all of our sins, all of the shame, to cover our our shame, and to make us his pure, spotless bride. It's Amazing picture. God intends for all of Scripture to point us toward Jesus. And here in these opening verses, we, too, we see two major arrows of Scripture. We see the sacrificial lamb of Jesus, like I just mentioned, and we see marriage. And, you know, those could be two humongous sermons or books you could think about in themselves, the sacrificial lamb and marriage. But just think, God ordained the sacrificial system, and we even see glimpses of it all the way in Genesis 3, where he killed that, that little animal to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. God ordained the sacrificial system for the nation of Israel also that God's people would understand that Jesus is the Lamb of God who is sacrificed to atone for or to, to cover or to remove our sins, the sins of his people. God also created marriage. It's, marriage is God's idea. It's God's thing. And one of the major purposes of marriage is to point us to Jesus' sacrificial, never-ending, always faithful love for his people. If you want to read more about that love of Christ for his people, check out Ephesians 5. But as we're here, let's keep moving in Jerusalem, and and let's let's look back at uh, verse 10, and we will see the setting of the city. Now, if you know me, you'll know that I love this part right here, and you'll see why in just a second. The city is on a great high mountain. Yes! Yes! we're talking about. I I could take a couple more great high mountains around here. And this makes me excited. I love mountains. I have never really been much of a city person, but I love mountain towns. Who else loves mountain towns? Anybody here love mountains? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Think about it. They're beautiful. like Banff, Aspen, Park City, Big Sky, Jackson, Telluride. It's just beauty. The mountain there and you see the green and the The snow sometimes, in the the beautiful city, it's like fresh air. Oh, so good. The new Jerusalem is going to be the ultimate mountain town. Hallelujah. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? I I just love that. Um, Listen to how Psalm 48 describes this. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great King. Isn't that a beautiful imagery? This beautiful mountain city where God and our King Jesus is ruling and reigning, where we are enjoying Him forever, bringing joy and gladness. You know, there is no city on earth. There's a lot of beautiful cities on earth. I, I've seen a f- quite a few of them. I'm sure there's some that I've seen or I haven't seen that are way more beautiful than anything I can imagine. But this city, there, there's nothing on earth that compares to the new Jerusalem, to the beauty of God's holy city. You know, I've always wanted a, a cabin nestled in the mountains. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Just sit out on your deck and just enjoy the breeze and the, and the mountain, hear a little waterfall and see a deer walk by. Oh, this is so nice. I've always wanted one of those. I might never get that in this life. But I look forward to my eternal heavenly home in Jerusalem. Up on the great high mountain, we can look forward to that. And another detail here in the text that is important to highlight is the intentional contrast between the New Jerusalem and the earthly city of Babylon that we saw back in Revelation 17. Now I'm going to have to pay attention to figure out and see the connections here, but I want you to try to see these connections and the, what seems like an intentional contrast that that God has showed John between the two cities. You know, the angel. If we see the angel here in verse tw- uh, 21, verse 9, check out the angel. The angel that took John to see the New Jerusalem is the same angel that carried him away in the spirit in chapter 17 to see the city of Babylon, the earthly city, the city opposed to God, this wor- worldly world system. So keep your finger in Revelation 21, but I encourage you to flip back to 17 real quick. Thankfully, it's only like two pages, one page. In chapter 17, we've already covered this, but think about this. John is shown the judgment. And listen to how the worldly city, the city that that the people, most people on this earth are pursuing right now, how it's described. In 17.1, John is shown the judgment of the great prostitute, the city of Babylon, the city of those who rebelled against God. Think about the the contrasting imagery here. In the New Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem is, is called the bride, the faithful bride, the wife of the Lamb. Babylon, how is she described? Prostitute. She's unfaithful. She's temporary, unclean. Think about how the setting of God's place, the New Jerusalem, it's on top of a great, high, beautiful mountain. Where's Babylon? Babylon. What is is Babylon like? What's the setting? It's it's in a barren wilderness. Not a lot of life there. It's dead. God's city, the new Jerusalem, is holy. The city of Babylon is blasphemous, impure, full of abominations. You see that in 17.3. God's city is the dwelling place of God and His people. You see in in, uh, chapter 21, but back in the city of Babylon, the world, it's ruled by the By the beast, its dwelling places, demons, and everything unclean. Think about God's city, the new Jerusalem. It will endure forever, we're told. It will be filled with celebration, with comfort, with freedom as its gates will never be closed. But in Babylon, it's desolate. It will end up naked. It will be eaten, as we see in 1716 and it will be burned with fire. Now, thinking about the two different cities, I think God has given us a a very stark contrast imagery here. They couldn't be more different, Babylon and the New Jerusalem. And I believe God gave us this contrast so that we would see the, the true nature of the two cities, the two kingdoms. And he's saying, basically, which one do you want to be your home? Which city do you want to live in? You know, which, which, if, you could, if you could invest your money to get one of these cities, one of these places in, in your retirement, where would you invest it? Babylon or the New Jerusalem? In my mind, that's a no-brainer. I want to go to the New Jerusalem. How do we apply this to our, our, lives, practic- to our lives practically? I think, I think the question is, what are we living for? What is the trajectory of our lives pointing to? Are we pointing more towards Babylon, living for this life, investing in this life, indulging our selfish flesh and desires and lusts to squeeze everything out of this life for now? Or are we living for the next life, for the for the world that the Lord has promised us? Are we storing up treasures right now for our pleasure, our comfort, for our even even like our retirement, which is retirement is important. But think about it. That's so short. It's so short. If we spend all that money looking forward to it, and then we we get sick and we don't even enjoy it. Are we spending everything for this life? Or are we spending it, are we investing it for the next life? Are we storing up treasures in heaven? This passage gives us great hope and endurance. Even though we will struggle with all the challenges of this life, Even though we're still battling our sin, brothers and sisters, we need to keep battling. We need to keep running the race with endurance. We need to keep pressing on. Babylon is seductive. If we see the picture of her in in 17 and 18, she's seductive. She looks tempting. It might be her lure is attractive to our flesh. But those who fall in love with the world they will not have the happily ever after. If you fall in love with a prostitute, you will not have the happily ever after. And that's what he's showing us here. prostitute does not give you the happily ever after. Christian, one day, by God's power and in in his grace, you will shine with the glory of God like the most rare jewel. God will do that. God will do that. The new Jerusalem is your home. Remember that. Keep your eyes fixed on it. And you will be holy not because of anything you've done but because of the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life making you more like Jesus. Day by day as you fail remembering, oh Jesus died for me. He died to purify me and to make me his pure and spotless bride. Thank you Jesus. We will be holy. We will be beautiful. And we will dwell in this earthly home with our, our uh, I guess you could say, our husband, Jesus. That sounds kind of funny saying it like that. But, but the one we've longed for to be with forever. As we move through the rest of Revelation 21, let's notice the second point here. Uh, starting at verse 12, God's city is the secure home of all his people, all his people. Uh, verse 12, it had a great high wall. With 12 gates, and the gates are 12 angels. On the gates are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. The south, three gates. Then the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. First notice here in verse 12 that the New Jerusalem has a great high wall. And in ancient times, uh, uh, great cities had great walls. You can tell if it was a good city by the, the wall. And the walls here, and we see in Jerusalem, ha- even have angels on them. And the great wall, I, I think, is an image of eternal salvation, eternal security for God's people. It's this uh, safe place for us to dwell with God. Nothing can, can break the walls down. And as you're think, as we're thinking about this, um, read these verses, you probably noticed that there are a lot of 12s here. Anybody notice that? I noticed that as I'm reading this, I'm like, holy moly, there are a lot of 12s in this passage. Why in the world are there 5,000 12s in these three verses? You know, it's like not that many, that's, that's exaggeration, but they're everywhere. Just think about this. There's 12 gates. There's 12 angels at the gates. The gates had the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. The wall had 12 foundations. On those foundations were the 12 apo- names, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. If we keep going, we'll see 12 stones, and we'll, it's just like 12 12, 12, 12, 12, 12 everywhere. What does this mean? Why so many twelves? I think this is intentional, symbolic imagery. Think about the Old Testament. When you hear the word 12" in the Old Testament, what comes to mind? The 12, what? Of, tribes of Israel, not tribes, but the tribes. Yeah. Uh, right, the people of God in the Old Testament. How about in the New Testament? The 12 apostles, right? Uh, I think, and the way that the number 12 throughout the Bible is used to show the completeness, especially as it relates to the people of God. The 12, the people of God. Old Testament tribes, New Testament apostles in the church. And as we look at the names who are, that are on the gates, check this out, and the walls, we see. That entry into the city of God comes through the people of God. This, this is, you could study this for a long time. Uh, it's amazing, the imagery here. The name, names on the walls and the gates is Israel. The foundation is the church. Israel is the gate. The New Testament church is the foundation. Just briefly think about the promises God made through the Old Testament. The promises God made to Abraham. Just Let's just do one, Genesis 1 through 3. God promised Abraham all the way back there in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that all of the families of the earth would be blessed through him. Through him. It comes, they have to come through Abraham. And then you come through the 12 tribes, the sons of, of Jacob, Israel. And they're on the gates. They represent the, and you think about this, all those promises made in the Old Testament. All the promises Name them, read them, believe them. God will, he will do every one of them. He will fulfill every single promise. God is faithful to his promises that he has made to the nation of Israel. God will keep his promise to Abraham throughout all eternity. God is faithful, he will do it. And John also sees the names of the 12 apostles on the 12 foundations of the walls. And this, I believe, represents the fullness of the New Testament church which as we see in Ephesians 2, is founded upon the apostles and the prophets. And I think that encompasses believers, both Jew and Gentile, all over the world in the New Testament age. And uh, all this put together shows that this city is the home of the people of God through the ages. We'll be together. We'll be together with with our grandparents and great-grandparents and and great, 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 great grandparents that know Jesus and love Jesus. We'll be together with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Adam and Eve and, and Enoch and, and who named the believer, wherever they were in the Bible, we will be with them here. And the people that are not even born yet that are going to trust in Jesus, the names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they will be here. It's amazing. And as I was trying to think about how to illustrate this, sadly, in our world, we live in a world that, that we, there's a wall here, but we need walls, and we need locks on our doors. We need, we need things to protect us from danger in this life. Uh, in 2006, I spent a year in Honduras. Uh, while I was there, I noticed many of the houses had these big concrete walls around them. Some of them had, like, wire and, and glass stuck in the concrete. And, you know, as I looked at them, I'm like, wow. Like this is a dangerous place. Uh, We need walls. This is is a picture. We see uh, we lock our door at night, right? That's one of my jobs. I feel like I'm responsible to walk around and make every every door is locked. I do that every night. And if I sometimes I wake up at three a.m. and I'm like, oh, I forgot to lock the front door, so I get up and lock the front door. (laughs) There's danger in this world, right? There's risk. There's real danger. Kids, you might be as scared of the dark. Right? You might be scared of what's out there at night. Because there is real danger in this world. We need walls and gates and locks and things like that. But the walls around the New Jerusalem, it's not a, not a picture of danger outside. It's a picture of saying, this is home. This is eternal security, eternal salvation. And as we see later on, the gates are always open. In verse 25, the gates are always open. We're safe. We will be safe all of God's people with God together. He is faithful to keep his promises. So if you battle fear and anxiety, and kids, if you are afraid of the dark at night, you can take comfort that God is preparing a place for you one day where all of that anxiety, all that fear, it'll be gone. You won't have it anymore. Won't that be amazing? No more fear, no more anxiety about danger. And we'll be able to go in and out of the city as we please with no fear. Move to the third point. This city is the place where God will dwell with his people for eternity. All right, look at verse 15. And the one, this angel that spoke with John with me, he said, had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square. Its length is the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height, are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. It's fascinating. The angel and the humans have the same measurement. I never knew that, but apparently it's the same thing. Isn't that cool? Um, it's fascinating, though. I mean, think about this. Like, why is this in here? What is this in the Bible for? Why does God give us the dimensions of the city? Like, is it just? Like, and what about the gates and the walls? <laughs> uh, I, I heard of one math enthusiast this week that has started to nerd out on all these measurements and calculations, getting ready for the sermon. I think that's awesome. Um, Why are they here? Well, if you look at the measurements, how it's described here, you'll realize that this place, the New Jerusalem, is a cube. It's a cube, all right? It has the same length, width, height, uh, all exactly the same. And as you're thinking about why a cube, why is a cube important? Well, if we look at the Old Testament, the innermost part of the temple, the holy of holies, was also built in the shape of a cube. Listen to this. This is as, as uh, King Solomon in the Old Testament. As he built the temple, God told him to build it like this. And this is the measurements in 1 Kings 6.20. It says, the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high and he overlaid it with pure gold. Huh. That seems interesting. That sounds a lot like what we're reading here in the New Jerusalem. The inner sanctuary in the temple or the tabernacle was the holy of holies. That was where God's presence was seen on earth. You even remember in the Old Testament that God's glory cloud would descend from heaven to earth and fill the temple. That that little cube in, in the ho- in the holy of, that was the holy of holies. That was the physical place where God communed with man. And think about this: this new Jerusalem will be the ultimate holy of holies, where God's present dw- presence dwells. And it's this humongous humongous cube. It's large enough to hold all the people of God through all the ages, through the ages. So should we take this size literal or figurative? Honestly, I don't know. Uh, Either way, it's mind-boggling and awe-inspiring. It's a 12,000 stadia. How big is that? Approximately 1,300 to 1,500 miles. Okay, that's that's a big city, right? 1,500-mile city, okay? Now, think about it being square, okay? So that's, if it was 1,300 and so, it would be about 1,904,400 square miles. And then you got to think about they're not only that big square, but it's it's the same height. And so the city is like whoa, if it's if it's literal, that's a huge cube, gigantic city. It it can be seen from miles away. This city would be over 400 times larger than any city metro area in the world today. If it's more figurative, the shape and the size, what does this show us? What's the imagery showing us? It's it's showing us that this is the perfect dwelling place of God with his people. That this capital city of the new creation will have nothing in this world that compares with its power and its grandeur. It would be beautiful, huge, magnificent. And we will live with God there forever. As we get close to the end of the message here, we see point four. God's city is far greater than we can imagine. Let's look at verse 18. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. There's 12 of these here, by the way. First jasper and second sapphire, third agate, fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth phase, 11th adjacent, the 12th amethyst. And the 12 gates were how many pearls? 12 pearls, yeah. And they were a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And we were, I was trying to figure out, how do we, what does this mean? Like, Why are we told this? Well, I think the streets of a city show the quality of the city. Your streets are nasty and made of dirt and f- filth. It's like, ah, kind of gross. But think about the streets of this city. They're so pure, so clean. Now we can't even imagine it because it's gold. But the gold is so pure that it's transparent. There is no impurities whatsoever in the gold that makes up the street. Wow. Is that going to be literally like that? I don't know. But whatever it is, it's amazing. I like it. Our streets are getting paved. That's pretty nice. <laughs> that's pretty cool. They're smooth. But imagine if it was gold, and it was a gold that's, like, so pure that it's see-through. It's like, there's no impurities whatsoever in that road. Anything about the materials used to build it. Like, man, I like nice materials in my house. Like, if I was to put something in my house, I want to get something good. I want to get something that I can afford It's going to last a long time. When we look at the New Jerusalem, The walls are made out of the most costly gemstones ever. Like, that's the the materials that that are made, the city's made of, is is the best. It's lasting. It's enduring. It's costly. It's pure. (laughs) And all this stuff, it's just amazing. And even the gates, the, the, the pearl that would make the gate is even hard to imagine. A gate, a, a, a pearl that big. One single pearl. That's just mind-boggling. It's amazing. And all these things are transparent. Why is it transparent? I believe because it it, it allows the glory of God to radiate and reflect and bounce off of every part of the city, everywhere. And so if we were to see the city, it would be just beauty. Have you ever seen a diamond when the sun hits it, and it, like light pieces hit all over the ceiling? Or imagine the color of a precious stone uh, and light hitting it and reflecting off of it. It's the glory of God it's in the new Jerusalem. It's just, it's John's trying to describe something that's indescribable, hard for us to imagine. But it's just the beauty, beauty of God's presence. you know i don't know exactly what all the imagery means here but we can know for sure that the new jerusalem is filled with dazzling splendor and that it will eternally radiate with the brilliance and the beauty of god's glory and we will get to participate in that god will glorify us and we will also reflect the glory of god we will be purified like like transparent gold no longer having any sin if the streets are that pure God will make us that pure. He's prepared this place for us. If in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9, uh, Paul says this. He says, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that amazing? We can't even imagine it, how amazing this is going to be, the place that God has prepared for us, for those who love him. So as you conclude the message here today, like, I want to just bring us back to the beginning. All of Scripture, all of human history leads us to this, God's people in God's place for His purpose. What's the purpose? We get to enjoy this perfect relationship with God for eternity, seeing the beauty of His glory, enjoying Him and enjoying the world that He's made. It all shows how amazing He is. This is the city that God has built for those who love him. He is preparing it for all who have come to his son Jesus. And he offers it to us free of charge. He's saying, come. It's free. What in this life is free? Like Nothing. What in this life lasts forever? Nothing. I wish it would last longer than it does. But he's saying, this city endures forever. It is better than anything in this life. And it's free. Jesus has bought it for us. He earned it. He bought it for us. And he wants to give it to us. This home will not decay or devalue over time. It's better than we can imagine. And Jesus did the work to save us and to grant us citizenship into his city. Let us, as his people, look forward to seeing our God face to face. And let us look forward to living with him in the place he has prepared for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, it's hard for us to imagine, and your word tells us our our minds can't even imagine the place you prepared for those who love you. God, I pray you give us greater love for you. Help us to see your love for us. I pray that these truths of your word, of this place and being in your presence, enjoying uh, fellowship with you forever, that this would grow bigger in our hearts and our minds. We thank you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.